Thanks for being here, everyone. I was just in the urinal just before, and you may have been the person next to me, but I often find it very difficult to go to the urinal sometimes, especially when there's that person standing right next to me. And in order to get past that, I always think of, how did John Hammond actually make those dinosaurs? I have no idea in the slightest. I mean, I love Jurassic Park, and I hate Jurassic World with an absolute passion. It is the worst movie you have ever seen. Just terrible. As many people will also collaborate with me there. Now, Danny approached me with this question a couple of months ago. She's the one that's sitting over there. Who is your science hero? And I honestly didn't know in the slightest. I didn't even know where to start. So this talk will have a few components to it. I'm very sorry, Danny. It's going to go for a while. I'll be outlining a little bit about my personal life, my journey to becoming a paleontologist, and eventually talking about my science hero. Hold on to your butts, because I've spared no expense. Jurassic Park. <laughs> now, when I was four years old, I was given a book, Life Before Man, 1979. It had these incredible paleo illustrations of a time bygone, particularly of the dinosaurs, the terrible lizards that roamed supreme on Earth for 160 million years. I became obsessed with them. Now, when I was six, I had a candid conversation with my grandfather about what I should do when I get older. He was a heavy-set Italian man who loved his family, and especially a cold, frothy VB at 20 to 8 in the morning. He would quite often sit me down and ask me, Ben, who you love? And I go, I love you, nonno. Ah, beautiful, this one, how much you love you, nonno. And I'd outstretch my arms and I'd go, this much. Beautiful, more than your nonna. And I go, yes, more than honor. He go, good, 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 good. Now, Benjamino, you're beautiful. You do anything you want. But I tell you this thing. You make the money. You have the money. You make the beautiful women. Have the beautiful women. And make the great grandchildren for your nonna. Find the woman prettier than your nonna, to which nonna would have this kind of supersonic hearing and would run around the corner and say, what do you say this is a bullshit for? I'm a beautiful woman. You don't say this is a bullshit in front of your grandson. You're bloody stupid. Yeah. Nonna would then say, find a woman, sorry, find a woman as beautiful as your nonna, and then the greater grandchildren. You become a lawyer, solicitor, accountant, these are the people that make the money. I love you, Ben, you're beautiful, you're smart, you're making the money. So, <laughs> thanks for laughing so much. So even at a young age, I was told, make sure money is the main focus of your life. But I honestly just didn't care. I kept on reading about dinosaurs and other ancient animals and couldn't think of doing anything else. I went back to my grandfather a few months after I had that conversation and told him, no, no, I think I want to know, I think I know what I want to do when I get older. Ben, are you beautiful, you tell me? I think I want to work in paleontology. And he had this look on his face, the one where he had no idea what I had just said whatsoever. This is a paleontology. What are this one? <laughs> and the only way I could possibly think of explaining this to my grandfather was to say, rock, working with rocks. And he goes, this rock, this rock making your money? And I said, I'm not so sure, no, no. He said, no, play with these bloody stupid rocks. Ben, you're beautiful. You do anything, no, play with the stupid rocks. But despite this conversation, he would continue to support me with pretty much anything I did. So I continued reading 
annoying my teachers with copious amounts of dinosaur facts. I mean, I was that kid. Particularly about Australian dinosaurs, Pleistocene megafauna, such as the giant wombats that weigh 2.8 metric tons, and the marsupial lion, Phylacalia, with one of the strongest bite forces relative to body size that lived less than 50,000 years ago. When I was 12, I got the chance to meet a preeminent vertebrate paleontologist for the first time. I'd read all of his books, and I was so excited to meet him in person, but he gave me some terrible advice for a kid, and for that reason, I'm going to disguise his accent with my Donald Trump accent instead, and maybe add a few Donald Trumpisms to it as well. And this is how it went. You have to imagine me much smaller. I was about 12 years old at the time. Oh, wow, it's actually you. I'm so excited to finally meet you. How do I become a paleontologist? Hello, Benjamin. What an amazing name. Not as good as my name, but still a good name. Now, if you want to be a paleontologist and play with these rocks, and believe me, I've seen rocks before, some tremendous rocks. <laughs> Don't do it in Australia. They're worse than the fake news. And believe me, I have many friends in paleontology. Many, many friends. And they all tell me the same thing. <laughs> if you want to work in paleontology, travel to the greatest country on earth. We have made it great once more, America. Or even Europe, but I wouldn't call Europe shitty even if it is. <laughs> so I was kind of like, oh, okay then. And I kind of did that thing like uh, Michael Sarah's character did from Arrested Development. I did this for the rest of the day. I kind of walked around like this, didn't really respond much. And throughout my teens, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I really want, I mean, uh, I didn't want to leave Australia to do my study. I wanted to work on Australian fossils. It wasn't until I found my first fossil that all of that would change. And we'll come back to this later, but now let's focus on my science hero. My hero had her life change when she found her first fossil. She had found them at a local beach, taught by her father, and it completely transformed her. Her passion consumed her, and she went on to be one of the most famous paleontologists ever, in a time when she was completely disenfranchised by societal constructs. It was a time when the Napoleonic Wars raged on in Europe, and food shortages were abundant. I don't know why that was funny then. They really were. A lot of people were dying. Today, my science hero is an infamous fossil collector and paleontologist from the early 1800s who struggled with life simply because she was a woman. Does it sound familiar? Mary Anning. She identified the first ichthyosaur, found the first complete plesiosaur skeleton, the first pterosaur outside of Germany, and was wholesomely responsible for the newfound thought of extinction in prehistoric life. Now, Mary Anning was born in 1799 in Lyme Regis, in the southwest English county of Dorset, at a time when people used to have huge families. I mean, massive. You wouldn't even think about this kind of stuff today. And believe me, I've seen big families before, huge families, with very few surviving into adulthood. Out of the nine or ten... <laughs> it was bleak, I'm not kidding. Out of the nine or ten children, wait for this, only Mary and her older brother Joseph survived into adulthood. I mean, that's really fucking miserable right there. <laughs> like many women and girls in Lyme Regis at the time, Mary had little formal education. She was able to read and taught herself geology and anatomy. And Richard Anning, her father and her mentor, who had taught her how to look for fossils, died suddenly when she was 11 years old from tuberculosis and previous injuries. Europe, during the early 1800s, was fucking miserable. 
Joseph, her brother, took up a post as an apprentice upholsterer, and their mother, Molly, encouraged Mary to pay off, help pay off the family's debts by selling their fossils. And around 1811, when Mary was 12, Joseph found a strange-looking fossilized skull. Mary then searched for and painstakingly dug the outline of the 5.2-meter-long skeleton. By the time she was done, she may not have known it at the time, but she had found one of the very first ichthyosaurs, a marine reptile comparable to a dolphin today that had died out more than 200 million years ago. It sent shockwaves through the scientific world, a world ruled by men who had no idea of how to make sense of the find. Now, in 1821, she had found the complete skeleton of a plesiosaur, a long-necked marine reptile unlike anything alive today. Despite her growing reputation for finding and identifying fossils, the scientific community was hesitant to recognize her work, and you know why, because she was a woman. Male scientists who frequently bought the fossils Mary would uncover, clean, prepare, and identify often did not credit her discoveries in their scientific papers on the finds, even when writing about her groundbreaking ichthyosaur find. Now, in the early 1820s, almost everyone was of the opinion that the earth was still of God's creation and that such evidence would counteract the will of God. Despite her monumental findings, the Geological Society of London refused her right to join their men-only club. In a letter, she wrote, The world has used me so unkindly, I fear it has made me suspicious of everyone. It's quite sad. She struggled with money for most of her life, eventually dying of breast cancer, feeling disenfranchised by the world around her in 1847. Her findings changed the way we view the world and paved the way for Charles Darwin to write his On the Origin of the Species, the most influential piece of writing in the last 200 years. Now, Mary Anning's predicament is just as relevant today in this post-truth Donald Trump era, and we'll get back to this later, but now let's get back to 18-year-old Ben. Boy, was he angsty. He wrote copious amounts of Facebook statuses, and thanks to the memories on Facebook, he can continue to cringe every day for the rest of his life. <laughs> Fuck those memories, so hardcore. I continued to be fascinated by paleontology, though, and I still didn't quite know what to do. At the behest of a friend, I read a book about Mary Anning, and after doing so, I decided to go out and find fossils anywhere I could. Then I found the site of Beaumaris, a 30-minute drive from the city of Melbourne in the heart of Bayside. The locality is inundated with fossils five to six million years of age. They straddle a fascinating epoch on Earth where many ancient forms are being phased out and newer, more modern varieties are beginning their dominance around the globe. Beaumaris was an evolutionary melting pot of diversity for numerous animal lineages, but especially cetaceans, the whales, with a unique amount of diversity no longer seen in the modern world. It would be here that I would find my first fossil, a pathetic-looking hard urchin that had died en masse with tens of thousands of its kind in the cliff wall. But soon I began to find shark teeth, and even better, evidence of the largest animals that had ever existed, the whales, and it spurred me on to want to work in paleontology. I mean, arguably, the largest predator ever lived in Beaumaris five million years ago. It was a gigantic sperm whale, a 17-meter-long macro predator, which ate other baleen whales. With a skull the size of a small car, it terrorized oceans for millions of years, engorging itself on its gigantic prey. And if that doesn't excite you, 
what's the point of waking up in the morning? I mean, really. <laughs> now, the other day, about three or four months ago, I was at Morris. I had just come up from a dive, having found a few shark teeth. It was bloody cold. And I noticed a family on the beach, clearly looking for fossils, but having no idea what they were doing. I went up to them and I said, hey, I take it you're looking for fossils. Have you found any? They hadn't. I introduced myself, told them about the site, and showed them how to find these fossils. Within a few minutes, we'd found a shark tooth, so we spent the next half hour talking about Beaumaris and some of the things you could find. I was about to go on my way until one of the kids, a 12-year-old girl, asked me something, and I'll never forget it. She asked, how do I become a paleontologist? And in that moment, I traveled back to when I was 12, when I, asked, when I was told to go overseas because no one cared about the fossils in Australia. I went back even further to when I was six years old and when my grandfather told me that I should make money. And even further still, back to the 1800s and how shit Mary Anning's dilemma was for her, dying in relative poverty because she was underappreciated for her body of work. Her story of underrepresentation is just as pertinent today as it was back in the 1800s. We'd like to think that we've changed greatly, but we're living in the age of Trump where you can grab pussies and it doesn't make a difference. It's disgusting. Women are still a minority in science, especially in the geosciences, and it shouldn't be that way. So I said to her, if you want to be a paleontologist, what you have to do is start looking. We searched for another half hour after that, finding a few scraps of whale bone, and then we said our goodbyes. The father went to shake my hand, and he gripped it firmly. He whispered to me under his breath, what have you done? <laughs> and I said, I, I, I don't understand what you mean. What do you mean? And he said, well, they're going to want to be paleontologists now. I wanted them to be doctors or lawyers. And I replied, it's funny you say that, because that's exactly what my grandfather said to me. Thanks, guys. <laughs>